yeah, man, hey, you helped me out. And it was so much fun. I'm like, why not talk to this guy again? He's yeah, yeah. He's got it going on, man. I had a lot of good feedback from my listeners on your episode. So hopefully they uh I know several that took advantage of the download and all that stuff too. That's so awesome. Cool. That's awesome. Do you want to start off by introducing yourself and what you what you do? Sure. My name is Rick Roberts, and for the past 30 years I've been held by the prisoner, held prisoner by the spell of comedy and laughter. And desperately as I try to get out and find different avenues to get attention. The only one that really works is comedy. <laughs> That's a true confession. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I felt like uh, like MTV when they cut to like the, just the, the talking booth. heads where they're like, <laughs> I'm Rick and uh, it's been a hard day. <laughs> There's some skeletons in this closet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was just recently on your show talking, mostly we just talked uh, marketing, you know, yeah. just how to Facebook ads, the pixel, all that stuff. It's a very good episode. I definitely will put it in the show notes of this one because it was a good listen. And I've had probably a handful of people reach out to me and just be like, wow, I really enjoyed that. And it was super helpful. So. Well, it was helpful. There's so much stuff we don't know anymore. And, and, it's, and well, see, you're a young guy. You're in the middle of things. <laughs> I'm, I'm on the, I might be in late summer, early fall of my life. And some things I just... I have to make a decision. Am I going to try to learn this or should I, you know, hire somebody to help me learn it or just hand it off completely or disregard it? And yeah. Every, I mean, right now, for for example, Clubhouse, I'm, people are like, man, you got to get in Clubhouse. I'm like, what is it? You eavesdrop on conversations and then they might invite you to talk in front of everybody. I'm like, man, it sounds like hanging out at Cracker Barrel. I don't understand <laughs> Clubhouse. I'm like, I just can't put one more app on my phone right now. I'm still. Yeah. You know, yeah, it yeah. sounds interesting to a degree, but I, at the same time, I, I listen to those things when I'm traveling like crazy. That, that helps me get three hour drive from Omaha to, to the middle of Nebraska, Grand Island or something, you know, mm-hmm. in normal days, I, I don't have time to listen to stuff like and get involved in stuff like that. So I guess part of it is because I'm, I'm taking advantage of what time we have now to do things I can do yeah. off the road a little bit. Maybe it'll change up and I'll have my own clubhouse, maybe treehouse. I'll get a treehouse yeah. clubhouse room where in the clubhouse, you can listen to me talk about treehouses or tiny houses. <laughs> yeah. I'll triple it up. That way I get more people in my room. I like the idea of in eight months, I'm just like out somewhere and someone's like, did you hear about Rick? He started this app and it's just, <laughs> it's blowing up. <laughs> you can only listen to it if you're in a cedar tree. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what his obsession with trees is, but it's 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 going well for him. You know, it's exclusive. <laughs> He's got that song from Rush that plays at the beginning of it. There is trouble in the forest. There is trouble with the trees. The oaks they want more sunlight. Or the I can't remember who I can't remember who is denying their pleas. But anyway, <laughs> I'll get into the tree. I can talk trees all day, man. Really? I mean, you know a lot I, about trees? Well, yes. <laughs> I just watched to tell the truth. So I'm trying to tell you, I'm trying to see if you can tell if I know what I'm talking about or not. I know a little bit about trees as a farm kid. And, uh, and one of my biggest selling t-shirts had to do with a leaf collection that went astray. So I, <laughs> I ended up putting uh, a marijuana leaf in the leaf collection by accident. I thought it was a Japanese maple. True story. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I got these, had these t-shirts when I did comedy that, that said, I'm not a pothead. I'm a leaf collector. So I know that much about trees. Okay. Yeah. That is another thing about comics where we're like, you just give us a topic and we're like, yeah, probably. I'll probably talk about that for 45 minutes. I've (laughs) I've driven by them. I've climbed them. Mm -hmm. I've picked up limbs from them. 
<laughs> yeah. like I know the tree. <laughs> yeah. Um, something that I always thought was interesting about, about your career that I really relate to is um, it seems like, uh, for lack of a better uh, term, it seems like you kind of abandoned the comedy club route earlier in your life you were you were I've heard you talk on your podcast where it's like you were going and doing that and growing that way and then there was a just like a turn point where you're like I don't think this is for me or well you know I had done it for 12 years I got to where I could headline but I really wasn't at the point where I could sell crazy tickets and start getting door deals and those kinds of things you know I was Mm. was the guy that could do the job that would get hired to do it you know when the other other acts uh, were too expensive or you know like I'd work Louisville during Derby weeks, you know, things like that. Yeah. So people showed up like, this guy was a funny guy for an hour. But if they were trying to sell tickets, you know, they went to somebody else typically. So I kind of hit my ceiling in there, just to be honest. And at the same time, I got married and I, I just thought, man, all the comics I know who are married are either cheating or they're miserable or they're on the verge of a divorce. Mm. And so I didn't want that either. So I wanted to be around the, the lady that I married. So I, I made a commitment at that time to be home two weeks of the month and take those other two weeks um, to look for just like one-off corporate events, stuff where I could pop out for a day and not the whole week. And I started learning, oh, geez, it's, you know, the clubs was good because I'm, I'm super strong in the corporate market. A lot, like most times they hadn't had a, a comedian that had that kind of experience, like 12 years of yeah. boom, 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 boom. So that, that helped me. And then the, you know, the, just the benefits of doing those gigs monetarily and just your sanity you know, I didn't have to sleep on a couch with two other comics in the other room, that kind yeah. of thing. You know, you get your own hotel room at a decent hotel. So all that appealed to me at that age, I would have been like 35, 33, 35. Okay. Yeah. So Cause like I'm, I'm on the similar route of, I, I, this is my 12th year. I'm entering my 12th and uh, I'm telling you, I just turned 30 and uh, sleeping on couches and sleeping on floors is, is uh, getting to me now. Like I'm not, <laughs> It's not well, as easy as it was 10 years ago, you know? So It's not. And it's, you know, I, and I think everybody can do whatever works for them, you know? So look, I'm not saying that I did the right thing or everybody should do it. But for me, it was totally the right decision. I was getting, I mean, I was busy when I worked at clubs. I, I would have two weeks off a year. I'd take 4th of July week off and Christmas mm-hmm. week off. I was booked every other week, if not the full week of Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you know? Yeah. So that 12 years of that is plenty Um my back was getting tore up. I threw out my back at one point. I actually on the way to Louisville, so I stopped by where I was. I was going to build. I did build a cabin in, in Somerset, Kentucky. So, oh really? That's that. You know that's that, right? On your way to, to Knoxville from Lexington. Oh okay. Yeah yeah. So I remember I was I pulled in there and I, I just bought this property and I, I'm like man I got a, a day to kill before I get to Louisville. I'm going to go by there and I took my axe and I was chopping down trees like Paul Bunyan and then. <laughs> There was, you know, chopped down a tree, and then the root was still there. So I was trying to rock the root out of the out of the ground, and I heard something snap, and I thought it was the root, and then I realized it was my back. Just went, and I was down for the count, dude. And this was before cell phones, so this was a long time ago, um, or before I had a cell phone, which could have been two years ago, for all we know. But anyway, I was down, and I I had to crawl like with my elbows and knees, and it took me probably an hour and a half to get to my car that was twelve feet away. And I just left the axe there. I just, I got in the car and I was total pain the whole way. And I just turned the key and drove to Louisville. I called him up and said, can I get to the condo early? Cause if I go home, I'll be able to leave home. I just have to get there. And that whole week, 
I, they used to shoot video all the time. I wish I had the video, but I was just leaning against the wall for the whole one hour show and just like was trying not to fall over and getting up to do radio. They used to do marathon radio runs in Louisville Thursday, Friday, you know, mm -hmm. and getting out of bed for that. You know, you get out of a condo bed with a almost broken back and you get shuttled around. It was just brutal. And I think that was one of the moments where I'm like, man, you can't do this sustainably forever the yeah. way that I'm doing it. And just the, there were other things that popped up that kind of showed me that the corporate entertainment was where they appreciated a guy being clean. And mm -hmm. I didn't have to worry about selling tickets. In fact, I didn't have to worry about a following really. I just needed to convince, you know, 50 people a year to book me as opposed to <laughs> 50,000 people to buy my CD after a show or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. it's been fun. I, and I still like, you know, jumping in the club once in a while and doing some sets, but, Geez, with, with this thing going on, with how busy the beginning of last year was, it's been over a year since I've really been in a comedy club doing anything. Yeah, same. Yeah, I, I really haven't done much of anything. And last year I put together a tour that was mostly, uh, it was like a three month to four, almost four month tour of just mostly music videos, rented theaters, little black box theaters and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and then I, w I was just getting dabbling into contacted me some casinos maybe like I had a cruise ship that was talking to me you know and I was like kind of just like last year was me kind of searching of like okay I can do the music venues and I can kind of do that uh but like what are the other things that you know like a casino that has a uh, a room they could give me or you know something uh -huh. you know like a corporate gig where it's like I could stay somewhere instead of all these airbnbs that I when oh I yeah music venues <laughs> Yeah, and you know the Airbnbs can be a little scary too. You know, depending <laughs> on where you're going. And uh, man, I, and I, that business has been hit crazy hard. Yeah, these times. I don't even know how it's a. It's not just an app. <laughs> you know? I know. You know, there was a story early on. This lady, I think she was in New York City. She had leveraged herself like crazy, and she had 15 houses or something that she was renting out as Airbnbs. But she Whoa. was barely making the money to pay the mortgages on all these 15 houses. And then when COVID hit boom and like there goes 15 foreclosures full bankruptcy uh, so you don't yeah. even think i mean we weren't prepared for this you know? no i mean nobody we shouldn't have i take all that back some people were prepared for it but they've been thinking it's been happening for 100 years and it never did <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. when it happened they're like yes i've got canned tuna in the basement you know? <laughs> yeah but for, for most of us i mean I, I thought there'd be a time where nobody would come to my show but i never thought there'd be a time where i couldn't go do one you right know what i mean yeah, I always thought it was going to be like a like a physical issue where I'm like like breaking my back or something. I'm like, that's when I'm not going to be able to do comedy. Right. If that's something. But yeah, where I'm like, I'm healthy just sitting at home. And, you know, I was just I was talking to my dad earlier today where I was like, yeah, last week I realized I literally haven't been even to go get the mail outside in four days. Like, I literally, oh, wow. I haven't like, I'm just, you know, peeking out windows and stuff at this point. <laughs> like, that's funny, man. There was there was a time a little early on in the pandemic where we didn't really, you know, we would go to the grocery once a week and that kind of thing. You know, before, which yeah. looking back, that was the safest time since this thing started to go to the grocery. Like nobody had it back then. Mm -hmm. you know, Twelve new cases in Tennessee. Oh, we should stay home. What were you thinking? We should have been out there partying back then. <laughs> then they shut everything down, and I don't know. Yeah. Now, now everybody's doing whatever they're doing because they're, they're just tired of it you know yeah yeah exactly yeah especially yeah it's a it, it's a it's a crazy thing i uh i just been on lockdown i just been like I, I do everything from home and uh you know mostly podcast all day so i'm just yeah. sitting in, in zoom <laughs> we'll get some of that beautiful arizona sunshine man because the vitamin d uh 
I mean, you sound like a pretty happy, well-adjusted guy, but for a lot of people, vitamin D, when they don't get outside and they, they have this confusion or depression, it get like, it's really thick on them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I started riding the bike this past summer and jogging outside and doing everything I could outside. And it's, I think that's totally kept me, my brain healthy throughout mm-hmm. this whole thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. About a month ago. Yeah. Like on new year's, uh, my girlfriend and I bought some bikes and we've been kind of biking around here and there, but it, you know, it's, it, it, we're having like storms right now. So we haven't been, but I a hundred percent. Yeah. Biking has just been so much better to clear my head and kind of keep busy. Cause I know all comics, we're always, we're just in our heads so much. We need that. You know what? And this is the funny thing to me when I first started get, getting a bike, I thought, you know, I'll, I'll go for a long ride and I'll work out some ideas in my head, some joke ideas, but really at least around here, it's, you have to concentrate so much when you're riding a bike. <laughs> Yeah. that it's it's almost like maybe like golfers go out and they don't think about anything because they're just trying to hit the ball straight when you're on a bike you're trying not to get hit by a car mm-hmm. you're trying to hit people if you're on a greenway path you're trying not to you know every time there's a bridge you gotta kind of slow down so you don't bump your bike and pop your tire there's when you go mountain biking i don't know if you've ever done that that's like a decision like microseconds apart from each other like i gotta go here mm-hmm. I love doing that two or three times a week and it's, it just keeps your brain super sharp, but you don't have a lot of time to sit around and go, well, I wonder what, uh, what joke I should do about Trump this week. Or, you know, it's like, yeah. But when you come back, your brain is totally fresh and you can, I find I can hit topics and, and yeah. do work really good after I go for a good bike ride. Cause I've got, I've got the concentration part back. Yeah. Last year I, I released like an ebook about like, but basically about comedy and like how I book stuff and whatever. And then I didn't touch too much on writing, but the one thing that I mentioned about it was when I worked in a kitchen as like a line cook and just how focused you have to be on like, I got to get this right. And, Oh, they said no tomatoes. And you're just like, you're just in it so much that uh, that made me when I got out of work, I could really focus on writing comedy because like, I'm no longer thinking about no tomatoes or thinking about, you know, it's been my, my brain has been clear that way, but versus jobs where I've used my creativity all day, like in marketing jobs, uh, where I'm constantly like, what's next, what's next, how to create these ads, stuff like that. I get off of work and then I'm like drained. And so I mentioned where I'm like, yeah, keep that terrible job, you know, keep that terrible job that kind of motivates you a little bit and also keeps your brain fresh, you know? Yes. You know, something like it's just a simple distraction, but it does keep that creative part kind of at hold and rested for a while. Yeah. And and I feel, I feel both things complement each other. Like if I'm last week, I was really grinding it out behind the computer, doing a bunch of stuff. And whenever the weather broke and I got outside, like, I was like a horse being released from a paddock, man. Like I, I would just like got on a bike and, I, and my muscles were rested and everything. I was just going like crazy. And then, you know, this week when I got back into the office from doing all that stuff, I'm like, okay, I can handle another week of grinding it out a little bit. Yeah. You got to have that balance. A hundred percent, hundred percent. So what is it like so far? What does the year kind of look like for you? Are you doing a lot of like virtual corporate stuff or well, so um, this year, if we're talking about this year going forward. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what do you, what do you, what do you kind of got planned for? Yeah. So January was pretty calm on the corporate front. Cause I think they're just waiting for the election to be done. Mm, yeah. Like literally the day after the election, five or six phone calls came in emails, you know, Hey, we're booking this for, it was almost like they were holding their breath. And yeah. I've been a comic through, I don't know how many elections now, 30 <laughs> years divided by four. You know, so about 75 elections, I think. Yeah, I was like, don't, please don't ask me the answer. <laughs> so quite a few. Um, 
seven and a half, eight, whatever it is. So, and, but that's been the case every single time when it's an election year, they're holding their weight and their weight. And they're like, okay, this guy's in charge. We're going to go ahead and do it. We're going to do it anyway. Like for some reason, I just press pause. Yeah. So things are, things are actually looking pretty busy. I mean, everything looks busy compared to last year, but not compared to the year before. Right. So like in February coming up, I've got uh, on the second, I've got a corporate event down in Alabama. I've got a Valentine's gig the next week. Mm. I've got two virtuals um, on top of that. Then there's a, a third virtual where I'm hosting a full day conference, actually producing the conference. So uh, this company will be, I think, four to six hours of content they're trying to get across to their franchisees. And, wow. And I've been to their conference uh, four years in a row. So their franchisees kind of know me. I'm, I'm like the spokesperson for the company uh, in their nice. social media ads and stuff. So they're bringing me on to kind of facilitate the flow of that and to keep it fun and light. Uh, so, so that takes preparation, takes some ideas and all that kind of stuff. So, but that's another thing that's in the hopper. And there's a few other things where um, I'm hoping I get this one event where it's, it's Fort Myers, Naples, Florida area down there. But it's three-day virtual cybersecurity conference. And they're nice. running it like a TV show. It's 7 in the morning to 6 p.m. So the three days, like I'd be hosting it whenever there's a speaker, I'd step aside and I'd kind of interview the speaker after the talk a little bit, just facilitate everything. And it's going out in multiple countries and it's be a pretty big gig. So if, if I can get that one, that'll be, that'd be real sweet. It's yeah. probably the best gig I've ever had. Oh, that's so there, great. That's wonderful. There's people that are looking to go ahead and move forward and, you know, they're yeah. doing it in safe ways. Uh, that's what I, I kind of, I'm kind of hearing. And it's so funny. It's uh something I never really think about. Cause like, you know, I've talked before where it's like comedians, we, we can be very much like about the art and the craft of like stand up, And then you and I were building these hosting abilities. And then you go, you, you, when I got into marketing and I'm going to these summits and stuff and I'm like going to these marketing things and they have a host, sometimes you're like, yeah, no, they're not good at that crowd work. Or like, you're kind of like thinking about like in comedy brain and you're like, Oh, I, comedians would be great at hosting this. <laughs> like, we would crush it, bringing up other speakers and all that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Um, and I've even kind of set up my new website to kind of focus on that because a lot of people that plan events, I mean, they're just the nuts and bolts. We have an hour to fill. We got to get mm -hmm. catering. We got to feed 300. So that means this amount of dollars. It, you know, they're in corporate America. They're not in entertainment whatsoever. So... Mm -hmm. Some of them have a big personality, but very little know how to utilize it on stage. And even if they were, they're already busy doing the other stuff, so they wouldn't be focused on it. And just the peace of mind that we can give to them as a, a performer that knows how to handle a crowd, bring the energy up, bring focus, all that stuff, it has a tremendous value. And so yeah. what, I've, what I've found, you know, last quarter of last year and this year going forward is they've got a budget because they're not spending I mean, some of these conferences, I remember just one thing I did for a tractor company once. He goes, man, you better be funny because this is costing us $80,000 to shut down the facility for the day and, and let people off half a day so they can get cleaned up and come back. And so that's just a tractor company that was in the middle yeah. of Iowa. So these big conferences, I mean, they're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars for a few mm -hmm. days. Well, they don't have to do that because they're not renting out the Coliseum or the local community center or yeah. Hilton or whatever it is. So they've got some money left over to hire somebody to make things go easier. So the more you learn the internet, the more you do what we're doing, having discussions with people, that's what they need. We just have to yeah. let them know that we can do it and that, yeah. that they need it to make their event better. 
a hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it, it's baffling all these things that comics can just kind of slide into if they just know how to pivot and promote themselves in those ways. And that's really cool that you said you're setting up your website to kind of focus more on that. So that kind of gives me uh, the mindset you're going with for this year is like, let me maybe, it seems like you're trying to grab in other directions that you maybe haven't in the past and move it in there. And then also I, it seems like your, your classes are growing for sure. So, yeah, yeah. You know, I did a lot of classes in January because I knew I'd be home and in the evenings, uh, I put it at a time frame where people on the West Coast could jump in. So we had a really good mix in all three of the classes uh, that we did. And I think three plus three plus one. So there was like seven times we got together in January and did some wow. school class stuff. And it was great. Mm. I mean, the people, such a, a wide variety of people got involved with it. And it's always fun. Like, yeah, what's what's more fun than helping funny things get funnier? You know, it's yeah. like, that's my favorite thing to do. And for especially for new comics they're like oh man how'd you do that and it's like for 30 years i've been doing it. it's like you know i've tried <laughs> things once like fixing the drywall on the ceiling and i should have hired the guy's been doing it for 30 years because he could have done it in 15 minutes and it'd been perfect mm-hmm. i spent three days 10 trips to home depot and it still doesn't look right yeah that's, that's the so so being able to help those people speed things up or see things more clear that's my favorite thing you know off yeah. stage do, i think it's just help them make this joke work because eh, this is too wordy up front or you're young the trigger word is not in the right place. It's little things that they don't even think about. They know mm-hmm. it's funny, but they don't know what the way to make it the best funny is. Yeah. Something you said on your podcast a while back that has really stuck in my brain is you were talking about when you first started doing teaching classes and where you sat down uh, and you were like, how do I write a joke? And how do I come up with these processes? And it was funny because I was, I don't know, maybe eight, 10 years in at that point, somewhere around there. And uh, I was like, yeah, at this point, I'm so in my own world. I don't even know if I could explain it to someone how I do my stuff. And uh, I really, that really just stuck in my brain of like, yeah, I should kind of sit down and think about the process again. And, um, you know, that's something I've been meeting people that have taken classes and kind of learned from different people. And I'm like, oh, there is a name for that thing that I do, right, or there is right. a process to that thing I do. Instead of me being like, I don't know, man, for five years I tried it this way, it didn't work. Like, yeah, yeah. There was so much, you know, when I started teaching classes, the the guy that ran Zany's, you know, Brian, he said, hey, man, we've got people walking out of open mics because the comics are so bad. They don't even know how to take their mic out of the stand. They don't know how to tell a joke. You know, they're all filthy, whatever. He goes, yeah, a class. And I and I just told him, I said, you can't teach comedy, man. How do you don't? He's like, well, you got it, but here's what you need to do. Why don't you sit down and watch your set? You know, at that time, it was still VHS tape. So he said, pop in a VHS tape. Every time somebody laughs, pause it, rewind it, and figure out what made them laugh. Like, why did they laugh? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And then I, I figured out, like you said, there's names for some things. Some things that I, you know, I'm sure other people call them different things, but I, I like made a term for them. Yeah. And I found there's like 18 ways I get people to laugh. And the jokes that would work sometimes didn't have any of that in there. The crowd just was on board with what I was saying, but it didn't have any technique whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And so I immediately fixed all those jokes and put a punchline plus technique in there. So it made sense. And then I realized like the jokes that really hit home had three or four techniques in the punchline and the taglines and they were different. So I'm like, okay, if that joke gets one laugh, I should tag it with a different type of technique. So they don't see it coming ahead of time. It catches them off guard again. And that, that year I went from, you know, having, I, you know, I was headlining, but it was kind of uneven sometimes. 
But by the end of that year, after I kind of learned those things and put them to, to use, solid shows. It would take a really weird night for the shows not to be solid because the material was solid. Mm. And that's yeah. why I, with these classes, I just I try to hammer that home. If you can take the time to write and learn now, you know, every time you get on stage, you should have confidence in the material that at least it was crafted correctly. You know, if the idea was bad or wasn't funny to start with, the crowd will let you know. But technique-wise and structure-wise, we'll have it sound. And mm-hmm. it's, it's fun seeing people pull it together like, oh, yeah, it's, that's yeah. how you do it. Not that it's a formula, you know, or a, a fill-in-the-blank here, but there's there's just ways to do it. And I didn't yeah. know I was – would it, probably like you, if it worked, I would do it again. If it didn't work, I'd still do it again and wonder why people weren't – I remember yeah. being five years in and having like a joke, finally, like being four or five years in and having like this joke that just would crush. And I couldn't even tell you why. Like it was just what I, it was, it was like the only joke, everything else was very mediocre that I was doing, but I was like, I don't know. And then it was a, a real wake up call when I kind of like reevaluated and I was like, oh, because of these three things that I'm doing and one of them. Uh, like what was big in my comedy is just like cadence. You know, I was very monotone. I was very much just like almost like reading it, but not. And just these are my thoughts. Very like Stephen Wright almost. Mm-hmm. And uh, like hiding my personality on stage. And uh, just like the cadence of it and carrying it and like really committing to the joke where it's like that alone is just like if someone told me that two years in where they're like, hey, man, you seem really kind of eh. I think I would have like, you know, but there's not always, there's not always a guru around to help you, you know? <laughs> no. And the, and the sad thing is, unless you really hit it off with somebody who knows what they're talking about, you'll never get that advice because comics don't want to give up. They don't want to make you funnier because you're going to take their spot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, every comic that was ahead of me, there was a couple. And I mean, just a couple who made a point after a show or the next day in the condo or something go, Hey man, that one joke you're doing, just, I'm just going to give you my input. If you just change this, Mm. it would work i guarantee it like a couple of times that happened in 12 years of, of clubs yeah. i mean we're talking 150 comics i'd meet a year yeah you know less than a third you know 0.03 percent or whatever 0.3 bro because they yeah. just didn't want to help you they're like oh he'll figure it out one day you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. but very much a you know just a, a high five and being like great job this weekend and then you, yeah. you know you go on telling that joke wrong for whoever. it makes them funnier if your show doesn't work too good you know yeah but i think and i still taught the classes when i was doing clubs but i definitely think once i was out of clubs it it really helped me clarify the teaching even more you know because mm. i'm you know i was never comp- you know i wouldn't be competitive with students but i was able to say man I, I know how this works. Let me just tell you everything I know so you can get how far you can get as quick as you can. You still have yeah. to make mistakes. You still have to figure some things out, a lot of things, but you shouldn't have to struggle with technique. It's like a mechanic not going to a mechanic school or being raised by a dad who yeah. knows how to work on a car. You just can't like go do that. You're like, I uh, put the tire where the drive, the steering wheel and the tire are the same shape. For some reason, I can't get my hands around the steering wheel and that tire is making a lot of noise. Eh, yeah, it's the same shape, but it's not the right place. That's what yeah. comedy is, man. You got You need a little help. Uh, there's, I mean, there's two ways to learn the hard way or mm-hmm. the most efficient way. And a lot of people, I know when I was teaching class at the beginning, I got a lot of flack from local comics and other comics, man, you're just doing a money grab. I'm like, first off, it's not a ton of money. Second, <laughs> secondly, have you seen the graduation shows? They're crushing it. They're doing good. You know, yeah. and I would, I'd even have people come from other classes go, man, I can't believe you gave us feedback in our first class. We took a class in Atlanta for eight weeks. He just said, get up there and do it. And then we mm. sit down and then you go, okay, who's next? 
I'm like, that's a money grab. That's a guy yeah. who just, he's <laughs> like, I'm going to sit here and let 18 people go up. Yeah, that's uh, that's a very expensive open mic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's 100% what it was. So I'm, yeah. I'm happy to help people. And my goal yeah. with all the students is, you know, one day I want to open for you. Just remember me when you're headlining some really sweet theater and it's, hey, call Rick Roberts up. Let that old dude do 15 minutes up front. <laughs> You know, that's, yeah. that's my favorite stuff when I get to perform with my other students. Yeah. And uh, I, I always want to ask you about, um, because the longer you get into comedy, I feel like there's many comics that are eight years in, 10 years, 20 years, whatever it is. And it, it can almost hurt your ego to be like, I don't want to take a class. I know what I'm doing, even though they, they need it. And I think it's helpful and you should. And the older I get in general as a person, I, I realize the more I don't know and the more I'm acceptable to like, yeah, mm -hmm. teach me. Cause I, I definitely don't know everything. Um, like, have you, what have you seen with that of like people that, cause I know for a fact, you've had people that are five, six years in coming to your classes and uh, what do you tell to them? Well, first, you know, some of the locals here, when I first started, I would just invite them in because they were skeptical. I'm mm -hmm. like, you know, you don't have to pay for the class. I might ask you a question so you can give your point of view, but just come in and sit down and see, you know, see what you think. And they would always walk up after, oh, dude, I've been doing that type of joke wrong the whole, like they, it wouldn't be the whole class. They knew enough that they were doing comedy full time already, but they would be like, oh man, you know, Johnny W is one of my favorite graduate mm. students and he's I mean, he's all over the place he's doing great but you know he took the class maybe I want to say his wife gave him the class for a birthday present or something like that or when he's maybe a year into it just kind of kicking the tires yeah and like he's like oh man I didn't even know how to structure a set yet like that's that's the thing you don't nobody tells you in comedy yeah. that this joke is funnier here because they got to know you over here and now this is something that's atypical or or they laugh before you get to the punchline because they know your character, your, your, your point of view better. Like just that kind of stuff is what mm -hmm. a lot of the, the more experienced comics were like, oh, the structure, I should, I should be, oh, I should be happy to be on stage. I shouldn't come out and just start being angry right away because then I've got nowhere to go. There's this, yeah. and that's the same stuff that I learned when I sit down with somebody or watch somebody for a, you know multiple shows over the course of a week. I'm like, oh, I see. Mm -hmm. like Bob Zaney. I'm sure you bumped into him yeah. at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I heard him on Bob and Tom and we were kind of running the same circles of clubs. It was probably three years before I finally worked with them, worked with them in, uh, I want to say it was South Bend, Indiana or Mishawaka or one of those. Yeah. Yeah. South Bend. And the first night, you know, I was featuring and had a great, you know, features always have a great show. So mm -hmm. you have a great show as a feature. You start on third base when you're a feature. It's like, you yeah, 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 yeah. Just go this far, then give it to the headliner, let him hit a grand slam. And run yeah. You're just, you're just, you're just waving and handing out shirts. It's fine. That's really all it is. <laughs> yeah. And so you, most features are pretty confident. They think they should be headlining, you know? And so then I watched Bob Zaney and, you know, I heard him on the radio and that's slightly different than what he does live. And the first show, I'm just like, that didn't go too good. And, you know, but I didn't realize he was doing a recovery artist act. Like he failed on purpose with the first punchline to make people think what? And then he'd come back with extremely great taglines that were brilliant. Mm. I didn't realize that was what he did to like the second or third. And I'm like, Oh, he does this every night and he is having a good show. <laughs> I'd walk in and out as a feature. I'm like, yeah, that wasn't, that, that joke didn't land. Yeah. <laughs> taglines did. I was just so stupid. For, and, there were many t things like that where I just realized different types of comedy. Uh, all they all work differently, but they all work. And and the comedy club needs they don't need thirty guys like me or thirty guys like you and 
30 mm-hmm. weeks in a row. They need a lot of variety. I used yeah. to get mad at like the hypnotist that would come in. I'm like, that's not comedy. Right. But you know what? Those guys would sell out multiple shows. They would add shows on Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, they, they do. In the middle they of do. the summer. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's if they didn't, the club may have folded or the club may have not been around long enough for me to perform the next, you know. Mm-hmm. The club's book, a good club book's what they need to do to survive. And the mm-hmm. comics just need to, you know, get in there when they get in there and do the best job so they come back. They don't need to worry about yeah comics they think should be i mean it's right now social media stars you know they're looking for a venue to play the comedy club seems like a good spot it's 300 seats you know they can probably sell that uh, a lot of them sell more than that but 300 is mm. not a big risk and you know if you have those millions of followers or whatever the public like, yes put it on a wednesday night and see what happens yeah and so some comics get mad about that like that guy or that girl they pick their nose on youtube and put tape on their face what is going on well the club sold they made a ton of money the white staff is still bringing home checks on wednesday that you know if me and you were there we probably wouldn't have packed out 300 people yeah exactly and that's uh you know it, it quickly you you think too much about the art and you forget that uh it's a business and they have to sell they have to sell drinks they have to sell food they have to pay the bills or that open mic that they run on Wednesdays won't exist anymore there. You know, that's, we're lucky to get that because of all the other things. And that's like something I really loved about working with like music venues a lot is because it is just a, just a transaction. There is nothing. It's not that they love what I do or anything. I'm just like, yeah, I really love your venue. There's a local one here that I really love called the rebel lounge. And uh, back in the day, like Nirvana played there in like the nineties, oh, cool, and it's like a yeah, it's like a cool little just. I think it's like maybe three hundred standing type of room, and uh, you know, I, I I headlined there about a year ago, and uh, just a like very good transaction. But it is very much like yeah, they need their percent of drinks, and they need their percent of you know, and then. Yeah you know, as a comic, you're like hoping to just get the ticket door sales and let them get the drink sales. And, and they'll, they'll do that over and over and over. But you know, you again, have to sell those tickets. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. You know, early in college, I used to put on events. I was on the student board of governors and the entertainment committee, mm. and all that stuff. And I remember putting on this one, I'd seen this band it was in Pittsburgh, they were phenomenal. It was a cover band, but they were, man, they were so tight. I want to say they were called the menus or something like that. And I get, I met the guy, got his card. I'm like, I got to bring you to my college. People go crazy. So I, I book them. And then there was something like 16 other events at my college that weekend. And I couldn't mm. get anybody to come in. It was like a $4 ticket. I couldn't get <laughs> anybody to come in. It got to the point where I, I started running around the frats and sororities and just knocking. I was like, hey, just come down and just listen to three songs and dance. And, and we've, we've got like, I mean, we, we had so much food and drink and stuff that we bought. And, uh, I mean, we ate like $6,000 in cost, you know, like we didn't, <laughs> I couldn't pay the band. I could not pay them. No, I had so no money. Funny. I was in college and there was no way to get the money from the college and the college really, I think they, they waived or forgave a $4,000 commitment to them, but the band was owed 2000. And to this day, I just want to find those guys and go, I finally have a couple of grand for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Forget the interest. But I remember How do you feel about nickels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, and it just it it burned me so much from ever wanting to be in that situation where I was responsible for selling tickets to something again that I never never really did a ticket event besides a, a few smaller shows, you know. Yeah, um, I'm impressed that you do and that other people do it and find a way to to get the word out and get the people in there. But I just never. Yeah, again, I think it's more like 
it's me and my and my friends that know the deal. They know that if there's no one here, none of us are making money, and we've right. all accepted that. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, I'll cut. You normally like if it's like on the road or whatever, and it, let's say it's a big flop somewhere. I'm like, I already paid for the hotel. You have you have no cost, but you know it's a, it is a gamble. And luckily, in the last few years, it's a, a better gamble than it was you know years before that. I've gotten better at doing it. But it is it's yeah it's a you know you're you're taking a chance, and I yeah. I like it because it's my own chance for me, and I don't have anyone to blame except for myself if there's no one there. So yeah, and and with that perspective, you understand what a club goes through. Yeah, you know, yeah. three hundred and whatever days a year they're going yeah. through that micro one show everything it's crazy yeah I, I i literally can't imagine doing that for like a living like owning something like that that it depends on people coming in every day to see an act not to not to buy lunch or not to get a cup of coffee nothing that's like you know in people's routines but where they're, it's their extra expensive. I guess this weekend we'll go see a band or we'll go see. It's it's a it's a crazy thing to do. Um, but it, it does make me like a, like really like enjoy what the type of stuff you do with like the corporate world and just kind of going out there in different avenues. Where I'm like, yeah, there's other routes besides really being on a greyhound stressing about thirty ticket sales. <laughs> yeah, there's. I mean, there's so many different ways to do it. That's what makes yeah. it fun, you know, and. and uh, this past year has been so crazy just trying to find out even newer ways to do it that are yeah. sustainable um, and I've found a few that I really like and I, even when things get back to whatever the normal looks like I still want to have those virtual offerings for people because it, it just uses a different part of your creative brain and there's one thing I've learned over the years is everything you're doing now prepares you for something you're doing next year yeah. or five years from now and you may not even like where you're at right now but you're developing some kind of skill that's going to pay off down the road Mm-hmm. So, you know, while you're in it, do, do the best you can and learn what you can because you won't be in that same spot for very long. I mean, even in comedy over 30 years, just to, to man, the number of changes that have happened since I started. And comedy already was in its second wave when I started from the big <laughs> 80s. Yeah. So it, it went through a huge change in, in that decade. But just the stuff that you see that changes, some things stay the same uh, and the money gets lower in, in a lot of places, at clubs, especially. It's like, that's the mind, that was the mind-boggling part to me. It's like you go to a club and two years you go back and like, oh, it's a hundred bucks less now. Like, what? But I'm I'm a hundred bucks better now, you know. <laughs> but there's so many other things have changed. Uh, I yeah. mean, just a boring amount of stuff has changed over 30 years. Mm-hmm. So, do you have? I always like to ask. Um, do you have advice you'd give yourself five or 10 years ago that uh, maybe like it, it can be a small stuff. doesn't really have to make too much sense even, but something that's uh, you know, besides the obvious answers of patient and, and stuff, do you, do you have something that you're like, ah, I wish I knew this 10 to five years ago? Yeah. And, and kind of like in the, in the same mode, like things I would have done differently. Like there's times where you need to be um, not honest with people or don't, don't tell them everything that you are thinking. Like I remember, I remember doing one of these, I can't remember if it was Montreal or some, some showcase. Yeah. Um, there's one in Colorado that was big for a while in Vail or something, but the, they sent up the talent scouts and I was in Columbia, Missouri. It was Mark Gross, John Reap, a couple other comics. And we yeah. all had good sets. And, and this agent sat down with us afterwards and just, I assume he asked everybody the same kind of questions, but he, he's like, man, so uh, pretty, pretty good set, man. Um, would you consider moving out to Los Angeles? I'm like, no way, dude, that place never. I said, people are looking <laughs> at you, but they're looking over your shoulder to see who else they should be talking to. I'm like, 
not not possible. And okay. so he, and that he got up and walked away. He's like, I'm I'm not going to rep- represent this guy. He's not even willing to move to L.A. for his. You know, and looking back many years later, I could have said, eh, maybe, maybe I would move right. and just see where the conversation went from there. But it, like he's immediately it's like, I, this guy, huh? I'd be spinning my wheels trying to get this guy any more gigs or whatever. Mm. So I remember that specifically. And, we, you know, we talked about feature being the easy spot. The two things I would go back and do, uh, well, the, the overall thing I go back is when I was featuring, I did not experiment enough with new material. Mm. because I was trying to blow the headliner off the stage and get that headlining spot, you know, it's just, so I kept a really tight 30, 35 minutes. It was just, I mean, it was good. It was boom, 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 boom. Uh, but when I got bumped up to headlining, I'm like, Oh, I've got 35 or 40 minutes. It's pretty polished. And now I don't have the next 20. That's that good. Mm. So when I headlined early, um, there'd be a, a lag here and there in the show that, shouldn't have been there yeah and the guy before me of course was going boom 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 and i'm like oh that's how it felt for all the dudes when i was going boom boom <laughs> they were like oh this sucks but you know i got past that but it took me longer than it should have i should have been yeah. 10 minutes up front maybe of, of somewhat tried and true material than 10 minutes in the middle of my middle spot just total experimentation and then finish up 10 minutes strong so you set the headliner up correctly you know what i mean mm. so i should have been rotating multiple 10 minutes in that middle of the middle set kind of like a sandwich mm-hmm. in and out in and out in and out and replacing the top the bun of the burger if you look at it with three you know two slices of bread in that 10 minutes where you're trading the meat out yeah i should have been doing that over and over so every time i came back to that club you know it was 20 out of 30 minutes was stuff they hadn't seen yet mm. i come back the second or third time and it's like oh man you did the same set really good again you know <laughs> yeah so yeah. If I could tell any feature act that especially is, is, I mean, you've got nothing. You don't have to worry about people coming in late. They've already come in. You don't have to worry about yeah. them getting their drink orders. They've already got them for a good 30 minutes. The wait staff barely comes by and says anything, hey, anything else. You've got no distractions. So experiment like crazy and have fun with that recording. And now it's so easy to record all your shows. I, I did pretty much back then too, but now it's, there's no excuse not for doing it and, and just, develop that material so that you don't have to get to a spot where all of a sudden you're doing an hour, but you've only been really slamming that 30, 35 for a long time. So I would definitely do that. Another thing is I was more concerned about selling my t-shirts and CDs after the show than I should have been. Now Mm. it was a a good, it doubled my income almost every single week. You know, some weeks you would go, if you had an eight show week, it would triple it sometimes. Just like I had a couple of shirts that really sold like crazy. And, but I was worried about doing a, a solid show so they liked me, so they would buy my merch. And I realized on a couple of nights towards the end that they would buy my shirt. Like there were people that would be walking by and would buy the shirt, didn't even go into the comedy club. They just <laughs> come by and thought, when was that shirt? Oh, dude, give me five of those, you know? Yeah. I, I was, a, you know, I felt like a t shirt salesman at one point. That was such a focus because I had, you know, I was trying okay. to earn money and get my little first little house and all these different things going on. So you, I misplaced the emphasis um, disproportionately was trying to sell stuff. What mm. I really should have been doing was trying to get stronger on stage with newer material and take more chances. So hundred percent, I would give that advice to myself. I don't know. I think I would listen to it, but if I was getting advice from a guy that looked like this <laughs> 52, I'd probably like, dude, what are you like some cheap trick tribute artist? You look, I don't <laughs> know if I would have taken the advice, but man, if you're out there and that's you, man, hear me on that rotate yeah. that middle you know 
and, and you know, as an MC, I guess I could do one thing for each each level in the clubs. If I was an MC, you know, it's not about you immediately when you get on stage. You're the focus of the club. You're like the host. You're like the face of the club to these people. They never, they've never been there. Some of them think you own the club. They have no idea who you are. Get to know them and then bring those 300 people into one mindset. And once you've got them there, then you hit material. You don't have to come out slamming and throwing jokes at them. They're not ready for it. Mm -hmm. uh, make them feel comfortable and then they can get to know you. So that's, that's my advice to MC level folks out there. And then the headliners, I think too, you know, now the advice would be like in the current environment is always be looking for ways to help the club out that they're not asking for. I mean, they're going to ask you for a lot of things. They're going to, you know, the radio, the promotion, the shout outs on social media, but see if there's something that you can do above and beyond that helps them or that they don't expect it. And it makes a difference for you. And then that week, you know, whatever that yeah. might be, different cities have different opportunities, not like just putting flyers on windshields, but what can you do to get some kind of, uh, notoriety or, or some exposure in that town before you get there. So you can, you can parlay that in some tickets for the club. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 I, uh, that's something like basically everything you, you, we've been talking about, uh, really drives home the idea that I've been thinking about is three, four or five years ago, whatever. Uh, when I was doing gigs, it was very much, I wasn't thinking about anything else, but that one gig and then just moving on with my life. And uh, I never made real connections all the time. I didn't really focus on like actually knowing the club and knowing the bookers and knowing the people that I'm working with. I was just kind of like, yeah, it was a fun weekend. I'm hanging out and doing the comedy thing and I'm moving on. Mm -hmm. And then over the last few years, it's like, well, I got I want to return to those places. And exactly like, like what you're saying of like going above and beyond as a headliner they're going to want to bring you back because they like working, you know, they're like, Rick's a nice guy. And he, you know, he always makes sure everything's taken care of. And I, he's a safe bet of knowing that he's going to show up on time and all these little things that are just yeah. like add up that are like, yeah, I, I, I'm going to pick Rick over someone else because I, I can, I can deal with that for the weekend and that can be great. Um, yeah. That's it's, true. Uh, constantly thinking about building these connections of actual real connections. Yeah, and I tell you, every club owner that I've ever talked to or manager, when they have like a, a high, a low tolerance for a high drama comedian coming in, <laughs> they want somebody that's kind of a buffer. Yeah, that can that can help them that week. Like they won't say that out loud sometimes in the way that we just did, but they want somebody that they know they can count on in case something mm -hmm. goes. I mean, I can't even tell you how many times early on there was opportunities for me to perform and step into different roles in the club because the headliner or the feature freaked out or you know, went off and wasn't invited back. I remember yeah, there's too many stories. I don't want to name names, but, but I'd be out in the like outer part of the showroom. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I remember there's 10 minutes into a show, the headliner walks past me and goes, get in there. And I have no idea what happened. I walk in and people are standing up. Two people are crying in the front. <laughs> I mean, they were bawling. And I'm just like, Jeez. and the club manager goes, I don't know what happened either. Get up there. We haven't even dropped checks yet. Dude, do time until I oh no and I just you know I was MC and so I mean I had 15 or 20 minutes but I went up there and did some improv games with the crowd and <laughs> settled them down and then when they gave me the green like okay you guys are free to go and the manager said if you didn't enjoy tonight you know your, your money back plus a ticket to a different show or whatever whatever I'm supposed to tell them um but it was, you know stuff like that you you're not prepared for that no but, but he he knew hey Rick can improvise get up there and yep do that yeah. thing for a few minutes if you don't yeah. have any I, I had something I had something similar to that not a, not as an extreme but uh 
uh, I was hosting at a club and it was very much a, yeah, you, you free this weekend. We love having you. It's a safe bet. I know you can do 10, you know? So I was doing 10 at the top. The feature went up. And then when the feature was about to finish, one of the managers came over and said, hey, the headliner is not even here. And he's not answering his phone, nothing. And of course, the feature doesn't know this. He's on stage. So he uh, doesn't know to go long. And they're like, we tried telling him, but he's he's in the zone. And uh, so I had to go up and I just did another 10. <laughs> that was just different than the 10 I did earlier. And people seemed a little confused, but I was like, yeah, I'm just going to talk for a while. And then, and then, yeah, exactly. You had a thumb from off stage where they're like, yeah, you know, he's walking through the back. And then he literally, I watched him walk through the back room, through the green room, and then get on stage and just start waving, you know? <laughs> I, it was like a, afterwards I talked to him where he's like, his Uber driver or whatever just didn't show up. And it was a yeah. whole ordeal. But yeah, it was just, yeah, Zach's, he can feel 10 more minutes, you know? <laughs> yeah, that reminds me, there was a, did a show in Detroit. They had a, a series of clubs called Chaplin's Comedy Club. Mm. And uh, Jeff Foxworthy has a joke about it in his act. He's like, you think Redneck Charming in the South? I did a club in Detroit where they had valet and it was a bowling bowling alley. <laughs> and so that's what, you know, it was, it was a club in a bowling alley called Chaplin's. And it was um, Tommy Chong, teaching Chong. Mm. Tommy Chong was headlining. So we get there. Uh, the show's getting restarted. I'm featuring. Um, and as the MC's up there, the, the manager's like, Tommy's running behind. He's, mm. He had his plane hasn't landed yet, so but we're only twenty minutes from the airport. So do thirty, then look up, and you know we'll have a, a wait staff over here with a thumbs up if if you can come off stage. And if there's nobody there, just keep going. And so I do my thirty, and I look over, nobody's there, and I'm like, okay. So I so I I, I kind of did a soft landing. I didn't say that's my time, but I kind of like mm -hmm. my best bit. And then I looked over, I'm like, oh, okay, here's my not the best bit coming up next. <laughs> And so I did a few more minutes and they, you know, the crowd didn't know any much difference. They were anxious yeah. to see Tommy though. And so I, I probably did 10 and I looked over nobody mm. do maybe 10 more. And at this point I'm kind of pushing the limits of what I have stand up wise. And I looked over nothing and the wait staff slid a little matchbook and it said, we need 20 more. And so I had my keys in my pocket and I said, Oh man, the wait staff is, they said, somebody requested me to bring out my guitar and play a couple of tunes for you. Tommy's running behind. So I gave her my keys. I said, it's the white car. She comes back to my guitar. And so I didn't play guitar at that club because they didn't like features playing, but I had it yeah. with me because I was on the road. So I play a couple of tunes and uh, I look over, still no Tommy. <laughs> and so I've done over an hour and 15, like 75 minutes of the feature. Yeah. The show should be over almost by now. Yeah. And uh, they go 10 more minutes. And so, so, and here's a little lesson in all of this. There was two bits that I had never performed that I had written and I practiced them. I, I, you know, in my in the condo I'd, I'd been doing them and just mm -hmm. never had the guts to do them on stage. So I do the first of those two bits and it goes okay. And I do the second, which I was the least sure of, and it destroyed. Even after they were waiting for Tommy for like seventy something minutes at this point, it was just this little thing on the guitar. Like every country song does this, wow, 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 you know. And so I had like six minutes of stuff that followed that where I just would keep throwing that lick in and people were just dying and slapping their hands. And, and then finally I look over and she's like, I'm like, so I did one more of those things. I'm like, and now Tommy, and he comes up and he does an hour. It's like a Tuesday or Wednesday night. So these people got to, and so I get off stage and the manager's like, first he goes, I didn't know you play guitar. I'm like, yeah, but I know you don't like features playing. He goes, dude, dude, we're having you back as a headliner. You got to bring the guitar. That was, you know, 
we can get so much more promotion. You know, they had Bob and Tom in the market and they had different Danny Bonaducci wow. had his TV, uh, radio show back then. He's like, we'll get you on Danny's show. And so I just learned that, you know, maybe don't be so shy about trying new bits out mm. for one. And maybe I should have asked the guy, hey, you might have to play guitar one night. Because mm. after he saw it, he's like, dude, that's what you should be doing, you know. But it was such a longer set. I mean, I had two and a half times longer after my set was done than I normally do. Instead of 30, it was 75, almost, I don't even know if it was 80. But it was just so exhausting. And then it also at that point, I was like, oh, man, headliners, they got to keep that energy up for a long time. Yeah. yeah. I learned like 10 different things that night. Yeah. And also never to work with Tommy Chong again. <laughs> <laughs> you know i kept making jokes i'm like he's probably you know there's he's probably in the back you know we'll yeah. see him in a minute yeah. and sure enough he just he barely knew he was there oh, man. <laughs> that's oh, crazy that's, that is crazy and that's amazing that it's like something like that where you're like you're uh accidentally doing your tryout uh headlining for that club you're like becoming they're like yeah you know what he has been up there for a while I could have him as a headline. Like these are things that are going through the head as they're even stressed about what's happening. But that's, yeah, that's I mean, amazing. It's almost better to do it that way. Like you back into it without the pressure of knowing this is an audition in that sense. Yeah. You know, that's happened. I think every level of my comedy, I got bumped up in places because it was an accident and they're like, Oh, he can do it. You know, <laughs> now we know, but they would have never asked yeah. me to on purpose. It was just like, Oh, something happened. We need to. So that's yeah, it's, it's fun to be, in that experimental mode with not the pressure it's nerve-wracking but you but you also know the whole time you know this isn't what they hired me to do i'm just this is bonus and if it works great but they're going to be they just need a warm body up here mm -hmm. and it takes the yeah. pressure off of it a hundred percent a hundred percent yeah it, it can uh that can in every every sort of way with comedy that can happen and um but the, thank you so much for being on the show rick yeah, and yeah. where where can people find you online um, I'm in Clubhouse. They can go there and listen. To <laughs> if they can't find me there, I've already moved over to Treehouse. The app yeah. It only works. Uh, I'm in a room called Out on a Limb. And you can get out there and hear stuff you would never hear on a podcast. And uh, we have a band that's opening up called The Roots. You've heard them on. Oh, yeah. We them. And uh, we, we, um, you can follow us on Bark.com where we put out all of our upcoming uh clubhouse treehouse conversation yeah. is that with are you sponsored by bark box is that where yeah a bark box and you actually when you listen to us in a clubhouse room they suggest you eat some of their foods and <laughs> if you don't have food that tastes like bark just get a kind bar mm. so um <laughs> so they can they can find me um where old people 52 hang out i am on facebook so you can find me on there um comedian rick roberts i think is the facebook page where i can uh, best keep in contact with the other words is for my 400 uh, closest friends and then 4,000 people I don't know I'm trying to whittle that back down just to yeah. frame um, if you like attempts at art and, and paintings they can find me on Instagram it's Rick R-I-K Pix P-I-X art I'm doing currently doing a series of Andy Griffith show characters and uh, you want to see a, a, a painting yeah yeah I'll grab one off my wall here this is what I do in my extra extra free time <laughs> This is actually a prank because I sold, I sold the, uh, sorry, uh, I sold the original, but this is um, a Kentucky Derby inspired. Oh, very cool. It's 
called the sloppy track. I don't know how to make this thing square up with my monitor. I go this way. There we go. A little bit like that. For, the, for those that can't see, uh, he has a team that's bringing this painting in. It's uh... Yes. They're curators from the finest museums across the world. I got yeah. them on hand. I can see they're very nice gloves they're wearing while holding Yes. That. Oh, yes, because uh, one uh, micro dot of, of dust will diminish yeah. the value of this thing. But it's wonderful, you, yeah. It's fun, man. Uh, that's one of the other benefits of this year, is just goofing around, having some fun, doing stuff I just honestly didn't have time to do before. I'm anxious yeah. to get back, but it's been fun to kind of goof around a little bit. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Well, and then School of so Laughs, schoolofwaffs.com, oh, yeah. if they're in, you know, they can check out your episode of the podcast and do a test drive and if they like that they can hear a lot of other comics three three other comics from the phoenix area and oh, the fourth nice. one that just moved there so yeah 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 there's uh your podcast there's there's so much uh great content and and i i mentioned it on your uh podcast but i've been listening since it started really i think i got in on episode two or three or something and and decide in a weekend to listen to all three of them so <laughs> it's crazy man i think it was may or june of 2014 yeah yeah. yeah yeah i was i was thinking about moving to louisville and then i heard your podcast and then you were talking about louisville and it was like man things are coming together <laughs> yeah. it's really happening this time <laughs> yeah the tea leaves are all reading in favor yeah. of louisville. i need to be in louisville <laughs> yes jefferson county here i come yeah <laughs> exactly so That's but hilarious. yeah thank you so much for being on the show and uh, i've been your host zach lyman this has been the zach lyman podcast and outro music right.